1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy. Sean, I have a weird stat slash thing that I wanted to share with you. Do you think that's the way we should start this podcast?
0: I can't think of another way we would start this podcast, so fire away.
1: Okay, so as long as I'm using stat heads filters correctly, there have been 1,595 occurrences in NBA history where a player had a plus minus rating of negative 30, meaning In their minutes on the court, their team was outscored by 30 points in that game.
0: Was this Samir Johnson?
1: (laughs) Well, it's see, it's going to tie in because of those 1,595 occurrences, 32 happened on the Sixers between the years 2014 and 2017, which is just over 2% of them, which is a lot considering all of NBA history.
0: Yeah, it was... We, we we throw this phrase around a lot in 2020, but those were also unprecedented times in those early process years. Do
1: you have any guess who had the two worst plus minuses of the 2014 through 2017 Sixers? And, and this is like a single game occurrence. This isn't just like, you know, it's not like for three years, one player had this bad of a net rating. It's just one horrible, horrible game of a net rating. Elliot Williams. Ooh, good one. But no, it's two probably more recognizable players um nick stauskus and evan turner each had a minus 43 game at one point
0: i should have said stauskas that was yeah sauce <laughs> sauce had some real rough stretches yeah
1: and then who do you think between that stretch had the most uh plus minus games with being like lower than negative 30 like the most times they were on that list
0: most frequently had a yeah that that poor of a plus minus
1: mm-hmm. uh, again this is a relatively good player Spencer Hawes good guess I think he had three times which is a big tie for second but number one was Thad Young with four occurrences
0: oh poor Thad
1: yeah that's definitely I don't think that was Thad's fault any of those times. times. No.
0: <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing about his tenure in Philadelphia was ever Thad's fault
1: yeah well, the, man,
0: the man gave his <laughs> all every night
1: Oh, definitely. Um, Well, that's probably enough 2014 through 2017 Sixers talk for, I don't know, the rest of time. So now we'll dive into the 2020-21 Sixers who just played their first preseason game against the Boston Celtics, which they won. It was fun. Sean, what were some of your thoughts from the game?
0: I'm ready to irrationally overreact to one preseason game like never before. (laughs) Basketball is fun again. That's absolutely wonderful. I think all of the the specter of just frustration and stagnation in play that enveloped the 2019-20 season, even prior to the global pandemic, which suspended play and made all of our lives significantly worse in one way or another. Even before that happened, basketball was not very fun in Philadelphia. Basketball is fun in Philadelphia again. That, that that's is, my main takeaway
1: that is what people are saying so this is what we're going to do today in the pod we're, we each have a list of positives and negatives about the team about some of our thoughts from the game and just kind of running through what we liked what we didn't like of course it's hard to take away too much from a preseason game not everyone's fully engaged teams are trying stuff out I think Ben even said at a presser the other day that they weren't really running plays more than just motions because they're just trying to get get you know get acclimated, but there's still some fun stuff to look at. So Sean, with that, how about you just give us your first positive to keep things rolling
0: right now? Sure. Uh, Before I do that, in, in addition to like the normal, this is preseason caveats. We also have to discuss how like truncated the off season was. Yeah. And there was no summer league. Uh, Tyrese Maxey had two practices with the team uh, after he had a positive COVID test. So the training camp was shorter than usual. And then, he wasn't even part of the first portion of training camp. Uh, a lot of these guys weren't able to practice and work out in normal 5 on 5 situations during the off season, just because you can't go near people mm-hmm. typically in the COVID-19 world. So it there's really no parallel to, to previous preseasons even, let alone talking about how this doesn't translate to actual regular season play um but that being said we're going to talk about one preseason game for the next 45 minutes or so so <laughs> kind of ignore everything i just said um one positive is tyrese maxi looks really great
1: <laughs> he, he is the prince
0: he, he's the prince that was promised as the uh, corner three newsletter said um <laughs> yeah he as as I just said, he had two practices with the team. He didn't come in till the fourth quarter because Doc didn't want to just throw him in the fire of his first professional game, uh, having had two practices. So he waited till things were, you know, a little less stressful. Deep benches had been.
1: He waited till it was Carson Edwards' time.
0: Yes, um, until Peyton Pritchard had gotten off a number of off-balance jumpers. And he said, well, Tyrese Maxey can't do much worse than that. Uh, and he, he, he threw him out there and everything we heard kind of translated. It was like the opposite of when Markel Fultz came and suddenly didn't know how to shoot a basketball. Here's Tyrese Maxey and the things people said he could do, he did them. It was great. <laughs> uh, he had a really i mean the, the 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 first step and his overall quickness just jumps out at you it's
1: it, it's really the sixers have not had a small guard of that kind of burst and i don't know how you you've probably watched the team longer than me when's the last time they've had a guy like maxi was
0: that quick at that height i think i think a young lou will is that, that's the, a good... the most direct comparison as far as mm-hmm. guards the sixers have had in recent years um yeah, aside from Lou, it's, it's probably Iverson. And I, Iverson, obviously, Hall of Fame player and yeah. does a lot of things well. But just in terms of, like, wow, how did he get by that guy so quickly? That's the mm-hmm. kind of thing we're talking about. Um, yeah, Max, he's, like, he, 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 it, it's a court full of the best, you know, some of the best 200 basketball athletes in the world. And even among them, he looked quick, which is – it's it's quite – amazing to watch um and then he had that incredible like euro step reverse lay-in yeah, the which was really pretty mm-hmm. and then he had a, a number of really sweet floaters and they looked comfortable for him and he discussed how he had knowing that you know he wasn't going to be this huge guard that that would have to be a Component of his game, and it's something he's really put a lot of work into. And it should, like, he didn't hesitate with them, and, and they looked like he had good form on them, and it was something he was really comfortable doing. And so, for a guard to, to score in three levels, he's not going to be a guy that can, like, shoot over people. So, if he gets in that intermediate range, that floater is going to be a real weapon for him. Um, and so, we saw that. So, just hey, a lot of really encouraging stuff from the Sixers first round rookie, which I mean, when's the last time we could say we were really encouraged? I mean, about I thought first round rookie. <laughs> we, were,
1: we were encouraged when like Matisse was playing his, like that first Celtics game where Matisse like swatted Kendall's shot three times. I mean, people were pretty encouraged by that. Even That's if, true. Even if uh, this preseason game wasn't the best showing from Matisse, which we'll probably get into later. Um, yeah, <laughs> the, the thing about Maxi, with I mean, the floaters were something that just watching him in college, that was something he was really good at. He's always had good touch. It's part of the reason like a lot of draft analysts weren't concerned about his long-term three-point shooting because he has such great touch on floaters. He has such good free throw shooting numbers. Everything indicates he's a pretty good shooter. He just needs to maybe iron it out a tiny bit, but it's definitely there. Um, I I did did like that thing about um, how he knew he was going to be smaller and that he needed the floater for that. I kind of thought back to me in high school when I knew I was going to stay at 5'11 after eighth grade. So and st- although I couldn't develop a floater because I had not the same quickness. I developed a set shot three pointer from 30 feet so I could just stand out there and fire away. You know, different level of athletes. <laughs> but you, know, you work with what you got. <laughs> yeah, me and, Ty- me and Tyrese should talk about that one time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, yeah, everything that we wanted, he looked great. He even had some really nice passes. Like after Mike Scott looked like unplayable in the first half, he kind of got it going because Maxi found him on some good passes out of pick and rolls. And he just looks like a guy you can give the ball to him and he'll bring it up the court, put together dribble moves that not a ton of the players on the Sixers can do. And it's just it, it's the whole thing about why they drafted Maxi, the long term vision of having a half court point guard to play along Ben Simmons, because as much as we like Ben as a passer and just a weapon in transition, he's not he can really get bogged down in half court offense at times. And you have a guy like Maxie, the smaller guy, the kind of player who's always killed the Sixers, these smaller guards who can score. And maybe he develops into one of those really good scoring small guards one day. And he showed, I mean, there's nothing but positives to take away, albeit in a fourth quarter against other scrubs, like or scrubs or rookies. So it's just it's about as good as you could have asked for.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And after years of a rookie has either forgotten how to shoot, been, suffered a major injury. This is, it's, it's nice to see a guy, a guy that dropped to them. Everyone was very excited. And then we finally got to see him play in a Sixers uniform and we remain really excited. That's, it's nice. It's, it's a nice change.
1: Mm -hmm. So one positive I wanted to go to next was we'll go to a guy's. I think he is the longest tenured Sixer at this point, Joel Embiid. Um, and of course the sides. Sure, sure uh, I thought Joel was a little more active cutting off ball, especially from the three point line. He did it twice where Ben dribbled into the paint and he just knifed it through there from the, when he got fouled on one, and had hit a layup on the other. I just, and it's basically just the correlation that active Joel is good. Joel, the more he tries to get involved, it's usually good. Just less Embiid standing there, not doing much. More of Embiid trying to get in the play, trying to make these cuts. Because, I mean, if there's a 7-1 monster cutting through the lane, it's going to scare an opposing defense because he catches that ball. He's probably dunking it with all the momentum he's running with. And I just thought it was like a little thing, but I'm like, you know, I would like to see more of that from MB this kind of like just sprinting through the lane at opportune times, especially with the lane probably more spread out due to having shooters like Danny Green and Seth Curry on the court with him.
0: Absolutely. Joel looked great. That was something Doc Rivers was quick to point out in the post-game interview was just how not only did Joel score 18 points in limited minutes, but a lot of it came just out of off-ball action and within the flow of the offense and not something where they said, all right, we're getting Joel the ball this, this time down the court. It, it, it was just him being a part of the team, getting the, the touches naturally and converting. And yeah, he looked, he looked really spry. He was, you know, running the court really well. He was a lot. Yeah. As you mentioned, a lot of off ball cuts, um, just looked really active, looked, uh, a lot happier, uh, when with, with the spacing and, and the flow of the offense out there. And, uh, we saw the instance of him and Seth Curry running the DHO that we saw with, uh, JJ so many times. So, mm-hmm. and, and it, it worked out into a wide open, uh, like 16-footer for Seth. So I'm sure we'll see plenty of that. And then that will create some more easy opportunities for Joel down the road. Um, so I'm, I'm sure he's he's glad to have that back as a uh, a page in the playbook. Um, so yeah, everything was uh, really, really encouraging from the uh, Embiid perspective.
1: One, one more thing I wanted to touch with on Embiid. We always talked about the Seth Curry part of Embiid's game, but We were all making the parallels to Steph Curry when Embiid started started chewing his mouth guard, like, you know, doing the thing. And then I I tweeted this. There was one play where he was just jogging up the court and you can see if you slow it down, he's chewing on it like Steph, but he drops it on the floor and has to stop to pick it up and he trails in the play. I I just found it funny.
0: I mean, that's what preseason is for you. You've you've added a new part to your game during the off season, And now you have to kind of work it out in live action before the game start counting. So he, he'll learn from that. And uh, I guarantee the, the mouthpiece will stay in his mouth next time.
1: Or at least he'll catch it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> a little a little Arya Stark, like drop it and catch it with the other hand, maybe.
1: All right, so. Sean, how about let's hear a negative you had from the game, even if there's probably fewer negatives we have than positives. Yeah. There's still some, you know. There's still some negative
0: stuff we need to talk about. Sure. Um, My main negative is that the regular season this year is only 72 games as opposed to 82. So that's 10 fewer opportunities to see this highly fun, highly effective basketball team out on the court. Um, So that, that's a shame. Uh, But, but seriously, um, Ben, Ben Simmons, still not really spacing the floor all the time. Um, Yeah. and, And I don't even mean shooting. I mean, Like he's not getting out to the corner to, to open the lane up. There was one play where uh, I forget who was driving. It might've been Tobias, but somebody got called for a charge because Ben was not involved in the pick and roll, but he was still in the middle of the lane basically. And just kind of exiting to get into the dunker spot area. And it was his man that stepped up and took the charge. Um, So I don't, I don't know why that's still happening. It's been like four years of this, like, Get Ben out of the lane when he's not involved in a pick and roll. So th- that was one main negative I saw.
1: Yeah, I mean, just it, it's always hard. There's going to be games where Ben is such a interesting player to watch, and he has been for these four years. And I know interesting is not a great descriptive word, but just there will be some games you watch him and you feel like this guy can do anything. I mean, my I always just think back to Game Three against the Brooklyn Nets in that one playoff series where he just, with the NBA was out that game and they played him at small ball center and he just was unbelievable. One of the best performances I've ever seen from him. But then you'll see other games where he just looks like he makes offensive basketball in the NBA awkward because he's not really a threat to score all the time unless he's driving through the lane. He doesn't have a ton of refined post work. He obviously can't really shoot. And you're just left with, man, like, what do we do with him? So, yeah, just – I mean, there's nothing too much more to say than, like, yeah, we've known this for three years now. Ben not shooting is a problem, and it doesn't seem like it's getting fixed.
0: Right, and it's, it's not the bag on Ben, who was largely still played a good game. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, like, I thought – I thought Doc coming in and everyone had been complaining for years about how Brett had been in the dunker spot, and I, I don't I, – Aside from they just hadn't gotten out of the second round, I think that sort of thing was what frustrated people the most with Brett. So I really thought Doc coming in, we would just not see that anymore. And we saw it like almost right away. Mm-hmm. So it was just something that jumped out at me.
1: Mm-hmm. So my first negative, and it's not a huge thing more than it's just like a pet peeve, but Jeff Teague and Peyton Pritchard both dropping 16 on the Sixers is too, it's too on brand for a preseason game. <laughs> small diminutive point guards just lighting up the Sixers and it's still frustrating. Like, I mean, in theory, I would say that Maxi again is the one who going forward, because he was a very good defender in college could handle guys like Pritchard and Teague be their answer to smaller guards that they're having trouble stopping. Usually because the Sixers are a larger team, maybe a little less quickness at that level that smaller guards typically have. But, I mean, isn't it just frustrating, Sean, when you see all these, like, guys who aren't that much taller than us normal people, and they still find ways to rack up points on the Sixers?
0: Yeah, especially someone like Jeff Teague, who is... Yeah, that's
1: infuriating.
0: <laughs> he, he's on, I don't know, whatever stop he's on in the last so many years. But, you know, getting, getting his NBA passport stamped at a, at a number of different stations, uh, not somebody you really expect to, to light it up, um, you know, service, serviceable veteran guard, but not somebody that's supposed to, you know, start hitting from everywhere on the court. There was one play where he just came down and, and pulled up from the wing because they gave him so much space and he mm-hmm. just stopped and popped and hit it. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, I, I think we all knew this was kind of going to be a problem. Um, I'd be more, I'm, I'm more encouraged about the fact that like Jalen Brown shot one of 11 and Tatum, you know, made some shots, but he didn't have, like absolutely light us up. I'm more encouraged by that than like Jeff Teague randomly having a good game in a preseason game. So it's going to happen, I guess. There, there's <laughs> gonna be nights where these small guards do this because they have done that in years past, and the Sixers haven't really brought in a guy to fix the issue. And you could argue that in losing Josh. They've kind mm. of lost one of their better options for stopping opposing smaller guards. So yeah, it's not really a surprise. It's a little frustrating, but I mean, most NBA teams are going to have one weakness or another. There's no, there's no perfect roster you can build. So I guess that'll just be the, the thing they have to watch out for.
1: It's just weird that as a Sixers fan, like when they go up against the Lakers and they have to guard Anthony Davis, oh, I'm pretty confident that Joel will handle Anthony, Anthony Davis. He always does pretty well with him. But then, you know, going up against Kemba Walker, like, oh my gosh, this is going to be brutal. Like, yeah, it's you know, like, it's such a weird respect. They're, they're
0: facing the Lakers. It's like, man, I Dennis Schroeder is just really going to. Oh, light it's, us oh, up oh my god!
1: I just, just remember that that is going to be so bad. Schro- Schroeder will drop forty on them. Like, just calling it right now, it'll. He is one hundred percent going to light up the Sixers,
0: right? Yeah, and, and Alex Caruso will randomly have fourteen or something. So, oh, man. Uh, yeah. That I mean, that's this isn't new. It's <laughs> it's. I mean, yeah. You you mentioned Maxi, so hopefully he becomes a, a an option. I I it's probably a little bit much to ask of him in his mm-hmm. in his rookie year to be their main perimeter small guard defender, but uh, yeah, we'll see. It's it's definitely not the the best. You know, continuing development for the team.
1: The more things change, the more they stay the same.
0: You so. have to have some through lines. Like, yeah. it, can't, it can't, everything can't be completely new and, and wonderful. Mm-hmm.
1: So let's, but let's get back to the positive, wonderful stuff. So, what's your next positive?
0: Uh, Danny Green looked like really solid. Um, I'm not, I mean, he, he made one shot. So, it's not like he was a, Huge part in the victory, but defensively, he had four steals in his limited minutes. He was a big reason for that that Jalen Brown one of eleven night. Uh, just veteran knows how to make defensive rotations, knows how to you know get over screens or when to switch. Just in the right spot a lot of the times. Um, he's a great piece to have as part of your rotation, and I, I've mentioned this multiple times, but Daryl getting him in a deal where. The main impetus for for doing the deal was to get rid of Al Horford because of his terrible contract. Just getting a guy back in Danny Green, who not only he's not just salary cap filler for to make the trade work, he's a real rotation guy who's been a productive veteran in the league for a long time, has multiple rings, just knows how to get things done in the postseason, not gonna, you know, shy away from the moment. He's seen it all and just a smart veteran player who based on one night of evidence still looks like he can, he can give you a really solid 25, 30 minutes a night. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be hugely beneficial for this team.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just like we, we, you said, um, Danny Green only hit one shot the other night. That's, I, I've tried to tell this to every Sixers fan, everyone who's been interested like the last few months is that Danny Green, he, his offense comes and goes. He's been called icy hot for a reason. He'll shoot 32% from three one year, and then 47% the next year. I think it might have actually been those splits specifically. He, his offense is very high variance, but he gets respect from defenses because he is he can shoot from time to time, and he is willing to shoot, which is not always the case with Sixers players. And then defensively, he brings it all the time because he has good good feet. To, he's really good at sliding his feet, and he has good hands. He gets in the way decent size for a two guard that's basically all you can ask for so again just an offensive guy you can contribute from night to night you're not sure if you're going to get it but you're always sure that you're going to have a positive player on the defensive end it's it's like what we said when the Al Horford trade happened it's like oh Danny Green that's kind of nice
0: yeah absolutely uh it was very much a pleasant surprise that whatever deal happened to get Horford contract off the books just getting a productive veteran back it it's really like found money so it would based on one night of evidence i think danny green's just going to fit in perfectly here
1: based on one night of evidence i think tyrese Maxey will be a 14 time (laughs) all-star all in philadelphia
0: and shake milton will be finals mvp and
1: that that was my next point shake milton who shake was just oh shake was so good the other night he just all, all the stuff he is already good at, which is shooting off the dribble, shooting catch-and-shoot threes. He has some nice dribble moves to get to the rim, and, of course, the, the trademark little scoop he has because of his long arms. I mean, like, is there anything else to say besides that's, again, like pretty much all you could have asked for from Shake, that the stuff that he was already good at that already made him a fun piece to this team that made him one of the few bright spots of last season – he seems to have gotten better at all that stuff. And I I even think defensively, like, because that was probably his biggest weakness, weakness, especially in the playoffs. He struggled defensively, just doesn't have the quickness to keep up with those smaller guards that we say, while also not having the strength to kind of bang with bigger guys. I thought, like, there was the one possession he drew a charge on Jalen Brown, and I thought that generally when the Celtics tried to go at him inside, he kind of held his own. It did look like he had gotten stronger. Did, did you see that too, Sean?
0: Yeah, he looked solid. Uh, that was – obviously a point of emphasis for him. That was something Jake mentioned in camp that him and doc had talked about that, you know, doc doc believes in him and, and he, he really thinks he can be a big part of this team. But he said, Hey, the defensive end is where you're going to, you know, make or break whether you can see a lot of time with this team. Like you, I, I, I think I know that you can do all the things on offense that we need you to do, but if you can't do it on defense, none of that matters. So, I really think shake has put in the work to improve in that area. And yeah, he looked, he looked fine. It like, there was, there was no instance where he said, Oh man, there's, there's shake getting burnt or blown by or missing a rotation or whatever else. He just, Mm -hmm. you know, fit in really, really nice. And he didn't notice him defensively, which is usually that's the best compliment you can give someone. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And just, it's so nice when they'll run those pick and rolls for him and he can just stop at the elbow between the legs dribble pull back and hit a shot right there he does it so much more smoothly than any Sixers player does so it's just kind of that it's a nice little counter to have that you have another guy like in him combined with Maxi, two younger guys who can create shots off the dribble which is the most important thing you can do in the NBA of course it's probably more important when you have a guy who's six seven and up who can do it those kind of big wing creators but you know It's just when the offense bogs down, it looks like shake and Maxi have the potential long-term to be guys who can get you shots can get you buckets.
0: Yeah. And and, I mean, shake's a pretty good size. So yeah, he's, he's going to be guarded a lot by, by smaller guards, just because mm -hmm. the Sixers have a roster where they're pretty big and bigger defenders are going to have to be on guys like Ben and so on and so forth. So he's, he's often going to have somebody on him. That's a couple inches shorter than he is. Um, so his ability to, you know, hit that step back like he did and just mentioned, and he had one where he had a, a beautiful little side dribble to f- create some space behind the arc, and he hit that shot. Uh, yeah, it's it's invaluable. He's going to be a guy. It looks like he's their kind of second unit ISO guy. Mm-hmm. Like, if the offense is breaking down when the second unit is out there, he's going to be the guy they just say, all right, create something, um, and he... Based on the fifteen points in the third quarter alone, it looks like he's he's ready to step into that role.
1: What are the chances? Because we've already compared one of them to him, and we're saying that Shake might fill a similar role. That like Doc just put Maxi and Milton in a room and forced them to watch Lou Williams games <laughs> for like twenty four hours straight. They have to have like posters of him in their rooms, and they just always like like Shake, Shake, you are Lou Williams now.
0: I, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, he's he's definitely filling that role with for for Doc. Um, so I'm sure that he has yeah, I'm I i would not be surprised at all if he had Lou Lou film uh on loop and and just told Jake, like, hey, here's here's some things you can learn. Like these are the veteran tricks Lou has done that have really helped him succeed as a guy who, you know, Lou's even smaller than Maxie is. So he's gotten by a lot on little tricks and and savvy maneuvers that he's picked up to to be one of the more like free throw heavy guards in the league Mm -hmm. uh, for a guy his size is pretty incredible Um, and that uh, results in very efficient offense so yeah I I, I think Doc should do something like that like that's that's what smart coaches do so I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's been the case.
1: You can also learn from Lou's mistakes, such as don't go to Magic City when traveling back from the no bubble. The lemon pepper wings are not worth it.
0: I mean, just have someone pick them up for you. Like, there's a million apps you can use. Just have someone.
1: But you got to be careful of that too in the bubble. Remember Rashawn Holmes got a 10-day quarantine because he accidentally stepped over the line for what is it? What food was he getting? I, I don't remember.
0: remember. Yeah. I remember it was some food delivery. Yeah. It's like, like stay in your zone where you're allowed to go. And uh, like, like Lou, I think he, Lou was at a funeral or something. And that's why he yeah. had, he had permission to travel no, outside original, the bubble.
1: His original reason for leaving was fine. It was that, but then he stopped at magic city on the way back.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just like stay in your hotel room or wherever you are and have the wings delivered to you and leave them outside your door. That's all. That's all. That's fine. It's, 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 I'm sure Lou could have handled it better and he knows that. So um, yeah, right. otherwise uh, the shake, the shake show was great in, in the opener. I'm looking forward to, to seeing more from him as, as the season goes on.
1: All right. So this is, I'm not sure if this is a positive or a negative, but I do need your take on this. Furkan Korkmaz wore tights to, like, every game he played last year, and he was not wearing tights in the preseason game against the Celtics.
0: He was wearing bright yellow shoes.
1: I mean, of course, it's Furkan. So,
0: so yeah, I mean, he he did have some similar attire to previous
1: But do you have an opinion on tights versus no tights for Furkan Korkmaz?
0: Whatever helps him stop stepping out of bounds. <laughs> I, like, that's what I would promote him doing. It's it's crazy. Just this totally random thing that he seems to really struggle with more than any other player I've ever watched. I think he has large feet. He, he does, but they're NBA players. They all have large feet, I would think. Like, <laughs> there's... There's like guys that wear, that are like size 18 shoes and they're not stepping on the out of balance line like once a week. Uh, yeah. Uh I don't know. Regarding the tights, whatever you're most comfortable in, man, there's guys that wear tights and they look good. I don't, I don't, it's a personal preference for whatever you're most comfortable in.
1: I think his legs looked better in the tights. They, I don't know why I, I would need the gastro blues pod. This is more their territory. Yeah, This is,
0: this is so. Dan Volpone's. This, this is I, I need his to,
1: corner. I need to ask him this question. Do Furcon's legs look better with tights or without tights?
0: Yeah, this. that's a. That's definitely a blues topic.
1: Oh, man. All right, Sean. Well, do you want to go with a positive or a negative here? Just whichever one you got, whichever one you feel is more pressing.
0: Um. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with a positive. i I really liked what we saw from Dwight Howard. Yeah. And, you know, not only does, is he a veteran that, was directing the defense and knew the spots to be in and was boxing out well and doing all those typical big man things. But just the fact that he can go up and catch a lob and the Sixers had Norval Pell who did that, but he wasn't going to be a guy in your playoff rotation. Uh, He was too young, too inexperienced, but, and, and so the backup centers they've had, it's been Amir Johnson. It's been Kyle O'Quinn. Just a lot of guys that didn't really play above the rim in any sense. Mm-hmm. And and so now having Dwight, who we saw it a couple times, she, on one play, Shake just kind of drove and then threw it up to the front of the rim. And Dwight just went up and threw it down. Just really simple, easy play. When you have a guy that does that. If you have a guy that doesn't go up and catch lobs, it's like, all right, I got to shovel it into his chest. And then he's going to throw up this kind of like four foot floater that'll probably be contested because the defender will have time to recover uh instead yeah it's just easy two points um there was another play it might have been shaken I, I don't remember exactly but somebody threw a similar lob up for dwight and the defender just like wrapped him up and and, and fouled to prevent mm-hmm. another lob so again just more easy efficient offense and we didn't see it with Ben specifically, but I'm excited to see Ben and Dwight in that capacity when when Joel sits as part of like the, the hybrid for second units, because um, Ben hasn't really had a guy who can operate as a lob threat like Joel's not really a lob threat himself. Um, so, yeah, I, I was just it was a nice kind of wrinkle to have as, as part of the roster, like this experienced lob threat to come in and, and be the backup center. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing that as well.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, just everything you said about Dwight, it's why we were all pretty much in support of the Dwight signing when it happened. It is a low cost backup center who is an above average backup center, provides all the things you're saying. He even had that one drive where he like jab stepped and got by someone because he is still very quick, very athletic. I will say he I mean, he is similar to Norvell in that he fouls the crap out of everybody there are so many Dwight fouls on every play, just how how much he is trying to get away with, whether it be pushing guys in the back or just some things that are like, wow, geez, Dwight, you might want to calm down there. But, I mean, I I guess I prefer a physical center to one who just avoids it entirely. But, I mean, it's it's like a small caveat. But
0: Sure. I'm sure part of that is like the last few years – definitely last year with the Lakers and coming in, knowing he's Joel's backup, like I'm getting 14 minutes a night. So I'm not going to really,
1: I got six fouls to use.
0: Yeah. I'm not really going to worry about the, the ticky tack foul calls. I'm, I'm just going to go out and, and play physically and, uh, and, and let the chips fall where they may in that, in that department. So yeah, I'm, I'm I would think and hope that if there's a load management night for Joel or you know, he's he's injured for whatever reason that and Dwight was forced to be the starter that we wouldn't see that as much. But uh, yeah, I guess I guess we'll find out when that when the time comes.
1: I know he had to be released as part of the reason they got Dwight, but I feel deprived that we don't get to see a Dwight Howard Norvell Pell lineup where opponents are just terrified of going to the rim that they're going to be sandwiched by these two like foul monsters and (laughs) just absolutely destroyed because I mean Dwight's stronger than Norvell, but both will swing wildly with their gigantic arms.
0: Yeah, is is this the long-awaited bully ball we were promised? <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, just Dwight and Norvell decapitating a new you know, you know, we can't stop those six-foot point guards, but this time when they go to the rim, they're not gonna <laughs> they're not getting back up.
0: Yep. This is uh the the, the 2020 version of the Bash brothers.
1: Maybe, yes. (laughs) All right, so one last thing I wanted to touch on. This was from Derek Bodner in The Athletic. Embiid came out of the 3.17 mark in the first quarter rather than his usual eight-minute mark substitution, which, again, it's preseason. They could just be tinkering tinkering around stuff. Joel obviously didn't play in the second half, so his rotation might not be entirely what we think it looks like, but that could be a big change because for years it was always Embiid plays the first four minutes, rest of the next four minutes then comes back in for the end of the first quarter. And, you know, it was always kind of weird because even if Joel had a rhythm going in that start of the of start of a game, it was usually, just going to come out right away. D- did you notice that? Or well, I guess I'm telling you that, but like, what do you think about that in general?
0: It's, it's not surprising because that's mm-hmm. kind of how doc has treated his, his star rotations in the past. So whether that was going to be different because Joel has his, history of not being the best conditioned guy on the court. I, 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 that was something I think people were curious to, to see. Um, yeah. Just because they knew going in, he wasn't playing the second half. Like that could be the reason. I don't know. Um, I think we're going to have to wait and see how that goes on. Um, but yeah, I mean, he looked, he looked really good. There wasn't any plays where people might have thought, oh, Joel looks really winded on that one. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess I'd be in favor of, of seeing if he can do it because, you know, as you mentioned, there, there were some games where he'd have like 10 points in the first three and a half minutes and then sit on the bench and then by the time he comes back in – he doesn't get back into the flow of the offense right away. And then it's the early second quarter and he still only has those same 10 points. And it's like, Oh, well, I thought Joel was going to have a big night, but that never really materialized. Um, so maybe that changes if he's able to just continue that, uh, that streak or hot streak or whatever for the full seven, eight minutes of the game. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I, 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 w- I await further evidence to uh see if if this is really what's going to happen or if this was just a a preseason limited minutes type thing anyway.
1: See, Sean, this is this isn't how we do content. You're supposed to say based on this one preseason game that Joel is now in the best shape of his life and that the Sixers are title favorites. This is how this works.
0: They <laughs> I mean, I thought that went without saying. Every, everyone's <laughs> in the best shape of their life because we just we just had training camp. So that's a given. And um I mean, the Sixers are going to win the title, according to everyone plowing money into the sports books on on those legal sites uh, lately. So, uh, yeah, why why wouldn't people think that? I guess
1: <laughs> why wouldn't they? Um. So, just I mean, it's probably not a good note to end on negatives, but I do think there are some other things we should touch. Um, one being Matisse Thibel Just I mean, of all the guys who looked pretty good, Matisse did not look great let's say
0: he needs the mini throwback i'm not i'm not digging the little threads he's got going
1: yeah i, I kind of feel again more of a gastro blues subject than ours but <laughs> i i think that he is just the dribbling or the stuff that we already knew he couldn't do like dribbling or creating anything off the dribble stuff like that it's not getting better so it really depends on just how good is his defense and can he be a good spot up three-point shooter didn't get to see him shoot too many times. Defensively, he made a few mistakes. I still think they're playing him too much on forwards, like ha- having him try to guard Tatum when that's not really his thing. I think he's much better against those smaller guards where he can kind of swallow them up with his length. He can get more of those deflections because so they're just going to be overwhelmed by having a guy that big on them, whereas these wings kind of can hold him at a distance, can take him inside where they're a little bit stronger. And that's kind of my bigger worry with that. So I would prefer to see them deploy Matisse in a different way. But, yeah, it's just – it's not a great start for him. And it's an overreaction to everyone saying that Matisse needs to be traded now. But, like, <laughs> it was one preseason game.
0: Are people you, saying that?
1: I mean, I've seen plenty of Matisse – like, there's some that are just suggestions, like trade offers you throw around. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, that's – you know, if the Rockets really wanted Matisse in a Harden trade, you probably still do it. But the bigger th- – it's like just some people talking to him or seeing what they're saying is like, oh, my gosh, Matisse is garbage. We made a bad pick. Like, no, Matisse's is – it, it needs to get better, but I th- think it's Matisse is far from a lost cause.
0: <laughs> yeah, the main, the main thing I would say as far as a negative for Matisse is he still had like a couple dumb fouls. Yeah. And from year one to year two, that was the thing I hoped he cleaned up. So, again, one preseason game maybe this won't be a continued problem for me going forward, but already seeing that again was a little discouraging. Um, otherwise, like I didn't expect Matisse to come in and like, oh, he's suddenly breaking guys off the dribble. And
1: like, <laughs> that's, he's, that, that's he's still going to... fixers like when the title.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like he's still going to be the player he was. You just want him to incrementally get slightly better in certain areas. So... Yeah, we did like the, like I said, the foul thing was the main takeaway for me. Like, oh, you're, Matisse, you're still doing that. Like, come on, you're supposed to be a little smarter year two. Um, but you know, again, one game. So just, uh, go back to the mini fro and then, uh, be the, the wonderful player we know you are, Matisse.
1: We, we only have room for so many dumb fouls on this team and they now all belong to Dwight <laughs> Howard. That's right.
0: He's so. a veteran. You have to, you <laughs> have to like kind of concede those to him now.
1: Definitely. Um, Other notes that just on some things that negative or positive. Um, I mean, this is random, but not a great Dakota Matthias debut. Oh, for three shot wasn't looking great. Don't think he touched the ball for the first four minutes. And the first time he did, he seemed a little trigger happy and just missed it pretty bad. Um, I mean, I don't know if you were expecting a Dakota (laughs) Matthias revelation, but, you know.
0: I, 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 had, I had zero thoughts on him coming in. I think I still have zero thoughts on him coming out. Um, I can, don't you, exp-
1: can, you spell, can you spell his name correctly? Just making sure. Dakota. Yeah. Mac-
0: well, it's, it's Dakota, which you know, <laughs> like the state. That's obvious. Um, Matthias is the same as Matthias Lasort, right?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: So, so yeah, I, I, I know how to spell Matthias because Lasort has been a, a storied part of this franchise.
1: When, what, about, what about Vincent Poirier? Or I, that's such a hard last name to say.
0: Uh, can that I spell wasn't... his name, or what did I think of him on the on the court?
1: Uh, I was gonna say last name, but how about on the court then? <laughs> I mean, he looks tall next to the players the Celtics had out there.
0: Yeah, maybe that's why the Celtics were didn't like didn't want him on the team a, a year or two ago because he was too tall.
1: No, <laughs> they, but that doesn't don't... work because they have Taco still on the roster.
0: Well, he's he's meeting their quota of height. Like, there's only so much height you can have. So,
1: similar to the Dumb Fouls Taco take, since they have Taco Fall, they can only have players six, nine, and shorter on the rest of the roster.
0: <laughs> that's, that's good. yeah, that's true. Um, speaking of Taco, there was a really good uh, Hoops Hype retweet from a Reddit question, which was uh, which NBA player do you think has the highest ceiling? And somebody said, taco because how else is he supposed to stand in his house oh
1: man, i mean the one the one other bet i would have is just like one of the richest players in the league like gets some absurdly high ceiling for whatever reason but yeah they just,
0: they just want they want to feel like they're in an open field or something
1: yeah um, you could tell me lebron has like some secret condo where it's or secret building somewhere where it's like just uh, I can't even. I can't even put a number to it. It's however high feet in the air, just because he can, and he's LeBron.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, he definitely has like a wine cellar and everything else. So oh, yeah. if he wanted that, he would have it. Um,
1: other other notes. Um, rough day for Paul Reed, according to his Twitter. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> you want to break it, that down? <laughs> it was basically like first NBA game tonight. Let's go after it. And his tweet after the game was, "I got to get." It's something like I gotta get out it's of got, this. Gotta get it out. Of the stuck it. it.
1: Gotta get yeah. it out the mud again because he did. DNP <laughs> coach's decision. Him and Terrence Ferguson. Uh, I would probably honestly would have preferred to see him instead of some of the other guys like Vincent Poyer. Um, I truthfully did not want to see Terrence Ferguson. I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah, and and then Paul Reed also had a uh, like I gotta get gotta get back to work tweet afterwards kind of kind of like how someone had maybe like chastised him a little bit like you you can't be you can't be like talking about your dmp's on on social media like just keep it keep it internal and keep working um so yeah not not uh, not what paul reed expected i'm guessing going in the night i'm sure he based on his tweet and everything was expecting to see the court i
1: I mean i hope he keeps it up because i i mean it's great (laughs) like um Going off of altering the Darren Rovell, uh, like the Darren Rovell classic of bad for the country, great for content. You know, Paul Reed's tweets are bad for the team, but great for content.
0: Yeah, it's any any players show any part of their personality at all, it's it's always good for content. So,
1: Paul yeah. Reed, we support you.
0: <laughs> keep keep those tweets flowing. And they they just switched back to uh, the old retweet system. So I don't know, Paul, if you yeah. were a fan of the old retweet system, but I know I was. So yeah maybe utilize that i don't know keep it keep it uh fresh
1: uh all right uh sean you have any other uh any other big takeaways you just want to get off there before we hop off this pod
0: uh, my one other thing was the whole like mike scott is the backup power forward thing yeah so it, it's it's not ideal like mike eventually hit a shot but he didn't look terrific in the first preseason game we've we've discussed before how he had a pretty poor year last year and we we don't expect him to be to be long for the roster um
1: trade written all over him
0: you've right yeah especially like as a, a, a guy making five million who you can use that salary to to make trades work a little mm-hmm. easier kind of facilitate those um but yeah just right now based on how doc had the rotation it seems like mike is like legitimately the backup power forward. And he's actually going to see rotation minutes at, at the start of the season. Um, and I guess we shouldn't be too surprised because Doc has coached Mike before. They have a relationship. Um, so I'm sure he wants to give him every chance to succeed before the, the team maybe moves on from him. But uh, I don't know. I was just kind of hoping that there was a more creative way the rotation could have been moved around with like, oh, Ben's getting some minutes at the four now or whatever else it is that I'm I don't want Mike Scott playing twelve to fifteen minutes a game once the regular season rolls around. I, I don't think that's the best situation for the team. Um so I guess I guess we'll see when the regular season does happen whether that's still the case. But uh yeah, that was just my main kind of like, that that's not a great part of our rotation yeah. thought.
1: I mean, the theory of Mike's got is still, it's, I mean, it's what we saw at the end of the 2019 season where he's a tall guy who at least back then could hit threes at a decent rate, which is valuable, but you know, if he's really not hitting those threes, it's, there's not much else to bring. So that would be like, I guess I'm not, I'm not totally opposed to them just playing him to start, but like, if he's shooting like bad from three, like you just got to get him out of the rotation. But, Although probably they're also thinking, trying to at least keep his trade value up enough that another team can talk him into it being a legitimate trade piece they could get. So, or, or at be... least,
0: or at least like not a negative.
1: Yeah, that's more what along the lines of what I was thinking. But
0: right. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was about it. Otherwise, uh, yeah, very encouraging. They they beat the Celtics, which I don't care if it's preseason or summer league or. We saw some guys playing horse out back, like anytime they beat the Celtics, I'm happy. And, uh, the, the new guys by and large looked good. The the team had a new kind of verve to it and things are fun again. So I remain optimistic and I reserve the right to change my mind if things look different on Friday, but until then I'm going to continue. This is a new era of Philadelphia basketball and everything is great. That's, my mindset going forward.
1: This is a happy podcast, as we've been saying, since Daryl Morey was hired. Um, now the Sixers, yeah, yeah, just very fun game all around. Uh, tomorrow at, well, I guess people will be listening to this Friday morning. So tonight, this is speaking to future Daniel, you'll be playing, the Sixers will be playing at 6 Eastern against the Pacers. I really butchered that whole transition there, but, you know, another good Eastern peer in the Pacers. Hopefully the Sixers keep up everything they've been doing. Hope I don't think Maxi will ever miss a floater again. Feel free to call me out on that if it does, but I'm pretty confident in him at this point. And Hopefully yeah, TJ
0: Warren doesn't drop 53 or something.
1: Oh Wait, isn't he out with like the in- injury, like the plantar fascia thing? Oh, is he? I thought he had some big injury.
0: Oh uh, yeah, he has a foot injury, so <laughs> he might. Yeah, plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. Um, so only only 20 percent. So instead, that? Aaron Holiday <laughs> dropped 45. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see which random Pacers wing lights it up against them.
1: Uh, and TJ McConnell will have seven steals.
0: Did you see TJ in the preseason game had had the backcourt steal?
1: I, I, thing tweeted, happened? I tweeted out the clip. I tweeted it out because it was 30 seconds left in a meaningless preseason game. And to try and come back, he made the classic TJ McConnell inbound steal. It was awesome.
0: Yeah. Never change TJ.
1: That, those are you're, words you're, to live by. It never change TJ. Yep.
0: He's uh, he's truly one of a kind. Gotta love him.
1: You certainly do. Well, Sean, it's been great talking to you. Great always talking about the Sixers basketball. They are finally back. When we're talking to you next time, just think about the schedule. We'll be talking about real Sixers games next week, won't we, Sean?
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about the season opening win over Washington and how Joel Embiid dunked over Russell Westbrook and it was great um that'll be our Thursday discussion next week
1: that will most that will hopefully be that it most certainly will not be that because I mean I, I can't imagine things keep going this well for too long but you know who, who knows at this point so Sean I will talk to you next week and thank you all for listening
0: we'll see you then good talking Daniel we'll talk to everyone next week